0: Well hello there, you're very welcome to this, which is Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which a friend of mine has chosen a Doctor Who story, I have to bang on during it and try to guess what their favourite things about each instalment
1: are. Um, hello, uh, I'm Richard James, <coughs> uh, actor, writer, uh, podcast co-host uh, of the Jerry Anderson Podcast, and uh, I have a story for Toby. I've chosen The Visitation.
0: Right then, this is Podcast Host Man speaking to Podcast Listener Man or Woman. Uh, <laughs> trying not to be boring man, but being interesting man. Uh, yes, we're in the world of The Visitation where everyone is known by their job title uh, or, or race uh, if, you're, if you're one of the aliens. So, uh, we uh, are racing for the conclusion. God, I can remember the room in my mum's, well, in our house. It was always a very cold house, so it was always a fire on. So it always seemed like winter, even if it wasn't. And the cold, dark nights is what I associate Doctor Who with. Cold, dark nights, a roaring fire. And the room that we call The Study in... Uh, in our house because it had been my dad's study but he wasn't there anymore so it got trans, transformed into the sort of the room where the family watched a black and white portable telly where you had to turn a dial to go from channel to channel and hope that the picture stayed stable uh, and you had to fiddle with the aerial if the weather was bad all sorts of things that you young whippersnappers don't understand instead what you have is uh, a system entirely reliant well, we, that's what we have now because we don't have a telly plugged in. We get it all through the internet. So if the internet goes off, you can't do anything. I mean, you can't do anything, which I think is it's like TMAT uh, I think I think there's a flaw. I'm 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 all for having something plugged in that you can bash because <laughs> you also bash the telly sometimes if it didn't work. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm sure people will look back on some fifty years and fifty years time go, what? So if the if the Internet was off. It meant that nothing in their house worked properly anymore. Yep. Idiots. (laughs) What savages they were. Uh, Well, (laughs) uh, yes, you you have to be careful, iPhone man, not to get too reliant on that technology. Anyway, uh, I am going to watch, yes, the Visitation episode. Four, and we will press play. In three, two, one. Oh, uh, see there we go. Uh the, the 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 projector that I'm watching this on was connected to uh, a speaker, and then temporarily wasn't, and now it is again. Uh, you see. You see all this technology, it's marvellous, and then one day, the machine stops. Oh, have you read The Machine Stops? E.M. Forster, uh, there's, a, there's, there's an episode of Out of the Unknown based on it, starring Yvonne Mitchell, directed wonderfully by uh, by um, Philip Saville. But I, I read the short story. It's, it's basically about the internet breaking down. Um, it's a fabulous piece of writing. There's something now I haven't even really mentioned. Uh, Oh, the episode starts with the line, a final visitation. It's the visitation, a final visitation. And it's also the final part of the visitation. Um, And I quite like the fact that, uh, you know, the terror... I mean, it's quite sort of mass murdery, isn't it, to go... There's three of us who need somewhere to live. We will happily destroy everybody on this planet uh, in order to give us quite an airy home um so what's their plan is it just to kill everybody in england just to kill everybody in the vicinity of london uh or they're hoping it spreads everywhere um I, th- I think he looks great even just in the doorway shutting there um but haven't mentioned the rats you know rats are spooky things uh we live uh, near near an alleyway and uh uh, so you occasionally see rats and it's it's a, it's a slightly disturbing idea that not very far away from uh where i dwell and where my food is there are rats and i know rats are intelligent and ch- oh i love a spark like just like i love a a, a a a a laser a laser beam i love a spark and Davison's very good at that um you know the way that he the way that he he twists the thing to make the to, to to emit the sparks he doesn't just press it he gives it he, he sort of pinches it and holds it in a in a certain way that, that that the the acting helps sell the fact that he's discharging the power pack or whatever it is that he's doing uh because he's a very very nifty actor um so there you get a good look at uh james charlton doing uh d- doing hypnotized acting but yes yeah, so you should you should now Yes, he's he's, he's the guy that draws the clock face of Romana. Um, Beautiful uh, restored film here. Those lush greens and the sort of burgundies and browns of the villagers is uh, a really nice contrast. Uh, I know it was only made for small. I mean, gosh, as I say, I would have watched this in black and white. Um, And it wasn't made for the big screen. I'm watching it on quite a large projection uh oh, i'm a man of iron <laughs> i think i may have occasionally used that line <laughs> now i never quite understand this bit a, uh oh yes safety pin that's nice as well um oh yeah no it's not it's not this bit there's a bit with the door that i've never quite understood um extricate my fee from the strong boxes of more than one disreputable theater manager is lovely and i like the fact that um richard mace who's been sort of irritating the doctor for, for quite often uh is uh, a- actually succeeds in uh, in undoing the handcuffs that's a great image of the pteroleptile it's very bold to go let's just have our alien in in full sight uh, riding a horse and cart. But I love that. I, again, it's the it's the juxtaposition. Yeti, Lou, Tooting Beck, Terrileptil, horse and cart, g- uh, v- village. <laughs> um, uh, and as I record this, Tegan has just come back to Doctor Who. The, we're recording this after the power of the Doctor and Janet Fielding back, feisty as ever. It was good to see her back. Oh... Oh, the Sonic! I oh, do you know what the Sonic? I'd forgotten the Sonic, so it gets its final appearance actually in episode four. I always think about the destruction in episode three. Um, I the I haircut, uh, yes, this is the bit I don't quite understand because I I don't get this bit about he shot he shoots the door lock and it's a, and it's above. Uh, I, I I don't understand. I just don't understand. I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. It's it's nice that we have the shot and the little bit blows out and that's nicely timed and that works. Um, I, yes. I, is is there something I don't know about Locks that suggests that? Um, that that is the reason why the the bullet has opened the door. Maybe I'm just being a bit thick. Maybe uh, Doctor is educating me that old doors had the lock a handspan above the device. I or or it's a bit of business or a joke. I don't understand. Oh gosh, I've just had a memory. I remember watching this with my sister, uh, and this bit here when Nissa turns it on. I'm sure if it wasn't this bit here, it's when she switches it off she said oh there was a there was a gap between uh flicking the switch and the and the shaking either stopping and finishing and uh is it this bit i i i felt then that she'd imagined it and it's that it's that you know it's an early manifestation in my life of people watching to sort of go pick coals and you go even if she did it's i mean you have to be looking for it or you have to decide that that's what it's doing um and why why you, um i remember my my yeah, my, my, my son's talking about video games. I think I've mentioned this before, and and, and or, or looking online for you know movie gaffes and and some you know it is it is quite fun to occasionally spot those things, but to sort of go looking or or to make the assumption that. That because uh, quite often you you read in these lists of mistakes on IMDb they quite often will list a mistake and you get that's that's not a mistake you've you've just misunderstood that like you don't know that where the lock on a medieval door is, Um <laughs> but but this this desire to sort of uh, you know look at something and and find fault with it is is. I suppose it's because I, d- I make stuff. I I just sort of think I'll oh, give us give us a break and be transport. You know, give us the benefit of the doubt. This is a nice image actually of the of the of of the Miller uh, in with it with his with his little um, flintlock. What is it? It's a, what are those guns called? Flintlock muskets? No, muskets a bigger one. Um, uh, in the uh. uh you know you know contrasting he's doing the opposite of what the uh, the tereleptil was doing you know the the monster in the english countryside the the uh, the 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 uh the uh the miller from the olden days um against the glistening clean white you know spaceship stuff uh that is sort of you know also against, you know, against the rock. I like all of that. I think that's nicely, nicely Doctor Who stuff. Ah, uh, very good, uh, Davison stuff there. Of where he looks like he's, where he sounds like he's just allowed to lose his temper. Um, it's, it's, it's just it's a lovely little piece of texture to the acting. He sort of goes, "Will you?" Uh, and they, and his voice goes so high, it's almost going to break with sort of um, frustration and annoyance uh, and anger, um, uh, and then you know. He he pauses and gathers himself, and then tries to be over polite. Uh, he, he he adds that that's a great image of death in the forest. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. That's a lo- another lovely Doctor Who thing. I do think the android is very effective, and that's a um, you know that's a good that's a good piece of conception on the writer's behalf. Going well, you know, I can I can I can give my Alien uh, machine free passage if it disguises itself as death, and that you know scares off any villagers, creates an effective sci fi image, uh, ties it in with the time I'm setting in the story. Yeah, it's a really effective part of it. I like that. The lighting's very nice in here, it's got a sort of green hue to suggest that the pteroleptils like uh, lighting stuff the same color as them. Uh, but again, it's a nice visual shorthand, and it gives it a nice, uh, interesting sort of color palette and tone that contrasts with, uh, you know, the the, uh, the atmosphere in 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 different locations in this story. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's really effective. Good lighting, well done. Uh, he's he's great, Davison. Why didn't I like him? Because he wasn't Tom Baker. Change, you see.
1: Uh, do
0: I like the music. Uh, and I was in love with Nissa. Uh, and I like things like the Tardis toolbox. Those, those, you know, that was those were things you could sort of draw and think about, and make, maybe make a list about, you know. Um, and you're sort of thinking, why didn't why didn't you make toys of this sort of stuff? It's because Doctor Who was popular. Nine million, you know, or was it seven? But a lot of people were watching Doctor Who at this time period and there was so little to buy um, which seems insane now when you think about it especially when there were sort of Star Wars figures and those sorts of things and I know when the dapples came out they didn't sort of sell brilliantly and all of that sort of thing Um, but is it because and the Dennis Fisher ones I don't think set any the world alight so why was it that Star Wars figures sold so much and yet Doctor Who which was watched by a lot of people and had had you know, and we know now, uh, it it sells figures. I mean, you know, maybe destroyed Cassandra and uh, Granny from the Idiot's Lantern aside. If my local uh, Forbidden Planets uh, excess stock was anything to go by, still regret not buying both of those. Uh, oh, was that? I think it was that one that my sister said. And maybe she had. She was on something. Doesn't who cares? Uh, love the android. Uh, and oh and there's there's great pictures of this in the Doctor Who, the making of a television program uh of of i'm sure of the of of the exposure that's a neat little effect of it's just somebody pulling at the pulling at the doily but that's that's you know, it's all it's all uh, clever stuff to add to the illusion uh and uh, and uh, and we get a few laser shots here but there we go that's oh, and and i do like uh that um oh it's going out of control there we go um i i, I do like this well, I, one i like the fact that they've got a fire extinguisher i mean you would you would you're traveling through space and time you would have a fire extinguisher just in case something blows up but it also again seems quite quaint like the whole you know very fun you just got a bedside table with nothing on it there um it, it it's 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 sort of quaint functionality. It's it's quite amusing, um, but I do like the fact that Nyssa sort of laments the destruction of you know the the beautiful and impressive creation that was the android, uh, and well done Peter Van Dissel for making it quite a sort of scary and scrutable presence just through body language. But uh, it's a great conception. Both as death, and as the uh, bejewelled, you know, bejewelled, armoured automaton uh, that that lies beneath, and I and I like that uh, Nissa gives it a suitable send-off. So the Doctor, the Doctor laments his screwdriver, and Nissa laments the the destruction of the android. So there is a lot of machines whose passing is uh, is is a source of regret in this story. And I think that's quite sweetly Doctor Who-y as well. I don't think there's many episodes of EastEnders where somebody's sad about a car. Or many episodes of uh, of, of The Archers where they cry about a combine harvester. Or indeed, uh, any episodes of Line of Duty where uh, somebody's sad about a microwave. Uh, Oh, I loved her so much. Uh, I wanted her to marry me. And now I've been to her house. Uh, You know, I've moved on. I've moved on, but... uh, she was a very early object of my affection, was Nissa Sarah Sutton, uh, which is weird because she's, because, I, I, I think I've, I've often ended up with people whose temperament is closer to Tegan's than to Nissa's. This, Nisa, you know, and very amenable and, and lovely, and Tegan who's <laughs> quite quite feisty, uh, and and I and, and very I've, I I I feel I've very much been the. The cowed person uh, in my r- relationships. I'm, I'm very. I've not really been the one who's in charge. So maybe I should have tried to hook up with Nissa because I think she would have. Uh, th- I, I would have perhaps not been quite so pathetic. <laughs> um, there's a lot of scenes in the TARDIS in this uh, period, which is a good use of resources. Um, but I was talking about the the Cartmel area the other day, and it's you know it's depletion of the TARDIS scenes, which I, I think was a was a was a good move because there's a lot of uh, TARDIS stuff that is sort of re- redundant, uh, certainly in the sort of set ups and closings of, of of stories that you'd you'd really trim now. Um, but I did find the, the TARDIS quite reassuring and. I do like the gag that if you... I'd forgotten, because I was talking about hitting the television. I do like the gag. I do love that about the TARDIS, that it doesn't quite work properly and you have to hit it to make it work properly. That, to me, is what makes Doctor Who, Doctor Who, more than any other programme that might try to be like Doctor Who. It's that sort of charm of the ramshackle. I've mentioned this before. The... uh, <laughs> the the idea that imperfection is is somehow win- you, you know is, is, is somehow winning uh, in both senses of the words the doc- the doctor wins often by mistake or lash ups but it's also winning it's sort of charming it's uh, it's disarming um, because yeah it is a, an amazing miraculous machine that travels through space and time. And it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. But it doesn't quite work properly. It doesn't do what you want it to do. Um, and therefore you have to rely on your wits. And occasionally it lets you down at the worst possible moment. Like life. And you have to be rueful about it. The Doctor is rueful about that uh, rather than bitchy or angry. And that—that uh, that is a good lesson in life. This is a beautiful set here. This is a triumph, this uh well done ken starkey this is all on film um uh and it looks absolutely terrific and it's you know setting us up for this you know flaming climax but and the lighting in here is because of we're afforded the extra resources on film this looks absolutely magnificent uh and you've got the red of the furnace setting us up for the fire uh you know contrasting with the with the green of uh of the pteroleptils in uh, uh, you, you know base that were, that i was discussing earlier uh and you know the much brighter uh tardis-esque lighting here um quite, it's quite sweet that he's got the old that he's got the old map um uh, and this of course Brings us to the conclusion of the story and the wheeze. How do I feel about that map? Would the TARDIS have an alba? Yeah, I suppose you would. You would go, but a TARDIS would translate it, wouldn't it, into, you know, Google, Google, you know, Street View, wouldn't it? But um, I suppose it's helping to embed us in the time. Uh, and again, it's got what I like—that that um, that, uh, that thing of something very oldie worldy on a on a spanking futuristic scanner screen anything where the tardis is juxtaposed with a, 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 a well i mean that's the beauty of that shape it looks kind of incongruous and yet it kind of fits everywhere it it, it fits within its incongruity uh you know on on a on a beach uh, against thatched cottages you know on a uh uh or or in a spaceship it's it's uh, you know, it looks it looks like a slightly modern interloper here. It looks like a quaint old fashioned thing uh, in, in a spangly spaceship. It kinda sticks out everywhere and and but without without looking silly, it looks sort of charmingly displaced. Uh now, I now I remember when I got this on video, uh, oh, it was my friend Dave Merrick who I think lent me the visitation. And I think he must have got his via someone in Australia. Oh, I like the fact that the 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 other two terroleptiles, one of whom is Michael Leader, uh, who was the uh, Biltman or postman in EastEnders, who only died a few years ago. I used to see Michael a lot. In uh, the club for acts and actors, he was a big whiskey drinker, and he was a he was a stormtrooper as well. But he was he was a regular at the club for acts and actors, and I and and I. I, I, I it had actually been suggested to him that he do do an interview, and he and and he, he I hadn't actually spoken to him ever then, and he sort of said, "No, no, not for me." But and I thought, "Oh, maybe he's a bit snooty." But actually, he'd, he 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 towards the end of his life, he sort of started to join us, and we had right old chats and everything. And and because he was part of the furniture, I was like, "Oh, I, I'll I'll speak to him at, at some point." And then and then he he died having had a great he got a few lines when peggy mitchell left uh, EastEnders. he occasionally got a line but he was largely a uh, a supporting artist um and uh, he's he's one of these two terileptils and i love the fact that they've got their own colour scheme uh, uh because because you know it shows that an effort has has gone into uh you Know, give it giving them their own look and their own personality, and they look good, they look good. They're, 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 they're <laughs> Tegan bludgeoning one to death with a rifle. I think there's a good picture of her doing that in rehearsal as well, that looks quite cool. Um, uh, and oh, yes, and D- Dave, my friend Dave, who, who lent me this. Uh, oh, and I, th- I love the pulse, the little pulse of the light, that's very good. Uh, and of course, the the, the the gun and the straw is all on film, but it marries quite nicely. Actually, it varies. It marries very nicely with the videotape, and 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 the 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 burning face of the pteroleptyl was not on my copy. So it was only when I got this on DVD that I was reminded of the kind of uh, horrible uh, melty. Because because there's quite a few sort of green melty faces oozing green stuff in in this era but i'd forgotten that this was one of them uh and uh and it it wasn't in uh the copy that i had Uh, oh yeah there we are that's vile that's really he's still alive (laughs) his skin's popping and melting that i mean that's glorious but it's pretty grim and this is all great because it's practical effects uh, I will stay and fight the fire. I love that, uh, and, and he does that great Robert Newton eye thing. He's been wonderful as Michael Robbins. Uh, definitely, I think that the, the probably the strongest uh, thing about the the adventure. In well, I was going to say that because he's the he's the sort of standout character. But actually, I found much to distract me that that isn't him. Like that, I think the telepathil and the pteroleptile leader, the, the, the android. Uh, and, and I think that fire, I think you could tell that fire's, you know, actually not really there, or is it, is it on the end of a doodah? Um, but uh, but I, actually, I think all that fire stuff's very well done. All the film work is nicely, and unusually the film work, because of the effectiveness of the lighting in studio, actually matches with everything else, and that is a great wheeze. Now, I knew about Pudding Lane, I think, because... We were a house that talked about such things and maybe we'd learned it at school at that point. But that just makes you go, oh, oh as a kid. And it's one of those brilliant things and and of, of, of Doctor Who fulfilling its initial remit of going, you know, of taking us into history and learning about historical events. Now, yes, um, the that the bubonic plague wasn't wiped out as the result of a load of... oh James Charlton gets a single billing because there's uh, no, nobody else in the episode much. Um, uh, Pudding Lane was not set on fire as a result of uh, a, an alien incursion and attempts by three alien fugitives to wipe out the human race using a plague. But it just... It makes you interested in the period it makes you uh, if, if you know it it makes you feel good as a kid I remember feeling great that I knew what that was referring to and I felt clever um, and I like the fact that a television program can sort of rely on the fact that a lot of kids watching would, would put two and two together and go oh wow that's amazing and those that didn't could have it explained to them and that might interest them uh, in history or whatever so yeah the Pudding Lane uh, is a great little coda uh, and a great way of, um, you know, bringing this adventure to a close and having the Doctor play a little part in the making of history. Now, I wouldn't want the Doctor to do that all the time. I don't want the Doctor to have been involved in every single moment of history. But but when it does touch things like the Mary Celeste and, and, and Pudding Lane and the sort of things that we learnt about as kids that were in the air as kids, as things you should know about or fascinating facts or whatever, it, it just seemed to add to the great sort of tapestry of sort of interesting things. It just made, made life interesting. It made history interesting. It made stories interesting. It made... Stories that came out of facts interesting uh and uh i love that it's a beautiful way to end the story i love the mixture i love that i love that the pseudo historicals we call them now uh where you you throw something science fiction into uh an historical period and it actually elevates the fact that you know some of that was spent in you know tedious villagerdom to to go actually no this was a this was you know this is actually tied in with slightly more momentous events i think still think it would have been an interesting story without that but uh, uh and, and if you do that thing too often um it's it's a it, it's an occurrence of diminishing returns you don't want the doctor to be involved with everything but i think that is pitched just right it's a beautiful final shot uh and nice nice good ending so um, I, I mean my i've got to choose two things my favorite thing about that episode is i think the tying in with the great fire of london uh, and I'd, I'd forgotten actually how effective those final scenes are i think that film work is beautiful um uh, and the lighting is is e- e- exceptionally good uh, all through the story actually and uh, but i think i think those those final film scenes that, that the, the battle between uh, the uh the, uh, the, the last three pteroleptils were pleasingly different coloured the pulsing of the gun the fire the the, the popping of the face of the pteroleptil and it's sort of teeth it's white teeth and sort of gnarled lips shining through through the sort of blistering inferno it's pretty grim it's excellent love a bit of that uh, especially as it's not something I'm that used to seeing because my copy did not have that I, was, I remember being yeah and, and yeah I'd seen it originally um, and, and but you know for whatever reason I mean I didn't remember didn't remember the plasmatons I remember that. Um, but uh, <laughs> maybe that was just my subconscious shutting them out but anyway yeah so I, I think maybe I'd just forgotten and then when it of, of course when I did get the DVD and it was, there, it was like, oh no yes of course that did happen so it had you know it had slumbered it had certainly not burnt itself haha <laughs> into my memory uh, so yeah I think the the, the the sort of climax of the Inferno and the fact that the Inferno Takes place at Pudding Lane, that then sort of echoes back right to the beginning of the story. And go, well, why are we setting this uh, in a time of plague? I think it. I think the, the whole fact of the period in which it is set, um, and the fact that it takes us to that denouement, which when you think about it, you could sort of see coming, but actually I didn't as a kid, uh, and I don't think it's too obvious now. I don't think it overplays its hand with that. I think it's. I think it's neat. So yes, the fact that it's set during the plague the fact that the climax is in the great fire of london and the fact that it gives us that lovely little uh, coda to make any kid who likes feeling that they they know something that the adults have put together or whatever or that they know something that's in a story that they're watching or that yeah that just that moment oh yes of course i think is 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 great because it's it's good storytelling but it's also great because it's doctor who doing the sydney newman thing being, slight, being a bit Wreathian, as Wreathian as you can be, informing, educating and entertaining. But yeah, being as Wreathian as you can be when you've got <laughs> uh, three reptile monsters, one of whom's played by the barman of the the old vicar, one of whom is played by its milkman. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, you know, uh, fighting, um, uh, you know, a, a, a series of... Uh, 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 an air hostess, a mathematical genius, um, uh, a princess of Trachan, and uh, a time lord, and uh, uh, an out-of-work thespian highwayman. I mean, what what's not to love? So, um, and, talking of the out-of-work thespian highwayman, uh, my bonus thing, my overall thing, who I do think is the the strongest thing on the story, although Michael Melia and the pteroleptile leader spoke to me a lot during this story. I think they really are standouts, but I, I kind of acknowledge them in, in episode three. Well, episodes two and three, The you know, the the, the costume and the burnt face was my episode two choice. The, the face offs were episode three choice. So poor old Michael Melia misses out on a nomination but he, he should i'm sure he doesn't give him a muck uh, but his performance is all part of the great success of who i think is a superb nemesis the terileptil leader but but i i think you have to and because he divides people and because he gets a bit of a hard time on the commentary largely because you know he he, he clearly wasn't wasn't a huge fan of of doing the show and spent all his time moaning i don't care michael robbins was a great actor he was he was a very reassuring presence on telly you saw him in a lot uh like a wonderful voice and i think he's great as richard mace who i think is a love wonderfully written character you know fortune has made me itinerant uh he's one of those i i, I sort of like sort of slightly overblown actor type characters they're the sort of characters i like to play as well haha <laughs> uh, what are you playing a very over-the-top actor uh, does that mean you're being one no i'm playing one so therefore any of my excesses are due to the character i'm playing and nothing to do with my style of performance uh, what a joy what a ripe old turn it is uh, and uh, although he you know he does he, he does mute stuff on occasion he he uh, He's a, he's a little bit of afraid of some of the dramatic y sci-fi stuff which is which is interesting which makes it a slightly offbeat performance in places but I think he has his rich tones and he's he's got a lot of fun and uh, I also quite like the fact that the doctor really finds him irritating ha <laughs> um, but that actually you like him and you like him in the end and he stays and fights the fire and that they so they give him that little present I mean what he's supposed to do with that I've got no idea the, the, the floppy disc or whatever it is that he's given but um, yeah all good and uh, yeah So, so Richard Mace is my bonus thing and my thing for this episode is all that stuff I said about plagues and fires of London let's see what Richard
1: has to say Episode four would have to be the disintegration of the Android uh, by Nyssa using a machine uh, that seems to be made up of her old hairdryer and uh, some rubber bands and a, a reel of uh, sellotape. Um, I quite like the Android. It comes in for a lot of stick. Design-wise I know it fell rather short of uh, the original design that was in mind. But um, I remember, be- remember being struck by it at the time, cricket gloves notwithstanding. It's a rather beautiful piece, I think. Uh, very colourful and um, alien, certainly. Uh, really stands out in, uh, what is it, 18th, 17th century England um, as an anachronistic uh, object, which I really love. Um, so the android disintegrating would be my moment uh, from episode four.
0: Ah, well, yes. And, and you know, having gone to great pains to say, uh, I'm sorry about the pteroleptyl that I've not chosen, I'm also sorry about the android, because, again, in another story, I think... Uh, you know, the Android would have been a, a major plus. I think it looks fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the design. Like Richard said, cricket gloves notwithstanding. But I think it's it's intelligently realised, you know, all those jewels, you know, they've read the script and gone, where well, they like beauty, you know. Um, and, and Peter Van Dissel's body language is very good. And yes, the juxtaposition between, you know, what it looks like and the things it stands in front of. Uh, is great and it's got laser fingers um, I love the android and I think that yeah, the, the, the scene where, where Nissa blows it up is, is very good um, but I didn't choose that and all of that I think earns us I keep moaning about it. it's just that first 10 minutes of episode 3 where it's a bit annoying <laughs> with, with those sort of cardboard villagers I suppose the fact that they're so sort of bland and, and could be from any sort of naff uh, you know, period drama of, you know, squabbling peasants. Um, the fact that the, 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 the sci-fi elements are so well done to juxtapose with that, that that sort of helps the idea that, you know, the sci-fi stuff is futuristic and complex uh, in a way that, uh, you know, we we looked at the past as being full of, you know, ra- rather simpler people, which is, of course, hugely patronising. And, and dramas work much better if you... Help us to identify with, uh, you know, any of us could have grown up in a village in in, in in the 17th century and we would have still had our intuition and rationality and all of those sorts of things. We would have expressed them in different ways and our morality would have been shaped differently, but we wouldn't all be a bit fake. Um, but, you know, these are the tropes of 40 year old drama and all of that sort of thing. So I'm not going to patronize the past by saying, well, we don't do that that now and, and 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 actually yes those bits that I, I i liked a bit less they do actually help to enhance the more interesting the more colorful that the better realized which is the futuristic stuff which i think is as it as it should be um and i love that android i love that android
1: and finally a bonus thing that i liked about the visitation well it would have to be michael robbins portrayal of the thespian turned highwayman um, Richard Mace a rather fruity lovely performance uh, he's a brilliant foil to Peter Davison's uh, doctor and they share many a scene together locked up in a cell and so on uh, where they get a chance to sort of spark off each other and the dialogue's fantastic and their performances are, are lovely so uh, yeah I'd like to uh, finish with that uh, Michael Robbins performance as Richard Mace
0: Oh, well there we go so we end in a chord our flames intertwine uh, around the idol that is Michael Robbins as Richard Mason actually when I was putting this out on patreon uh, I put out one of the earlier episodes uh, uh, one of the one of my patrons informed me uh, said, did you uh, d- release this on Michael Robbins's birthday on purpose? No, uh, it would have been his 92nd birthday, which is weird because I know some people who are sort of 94, 95. Well, I know somebody who's 98 and in fine fettle, uh, Mr. Ollis from the Green Death. Uh, And you think, but Michael Robbins died years ago. You think, gosh, so the life that he, you know, it's still conceivable he would be alive now at 92 uh, and have fitted in, God, what so much. Um, And yet, when he died, it didn't seem. Unlikely that he would have died because he seemed quite old then, and of course he smoked like a trooper, so that's going to going to add to that. So it's odd that the that there's a whole. I mean, I was at university, I think, when he died. So there's a whole lot of lifetime for me in the time that Michael Robbins did die, and now where he could could still be alive and in you know functioning in fine fettle, which uh, gives me a lot to think about. But I'm not sure what I think about it. But it's probably not very nice or. A bit sad or a bit wistful or just, well, there we go. Anyway, Michael Robbins, l- long dead, uh, but uh, will live forever as Richard Mace. Uh, and he lives forever in the hearts of both Richard and I, which, uh, seeing as I haven't done particularly well with this Happy Times and Places, where, a reminder, I'm supposed to try to guess uh, more uh, of the of the things uh, that my my guest is going to choose than fewer because if i choose fewer i don't win i never win i think i've won once uh but it's it's not the winning it's the taking part but or at least ending on a positive note which is that uh richard and i both chose richard richard james and i both chose richard mace and uh let's now allow richard who's been a splendid guest to Plug
1: his wares. Now, Toby's also very kindly said, if you've got anything to plug, now is the time to do it. So, uh, if you would uh, be interested in a series of Victorian detective novels, uh, well, I've written some, as chance would have it, and you can find out all about them at Bowman of the Yard, B O W M A N, bowman of the Bye for now.
0: Well, Bowman of the Bowman of the Yard, uh, do, uh, he's plugged very effectively there. I've not had the pleasure, um, so I should really, uh, and I hope uh, his contribution has drawn you to his wares because I think you know we we uh, we you know we were all cut from the same cloth. I was delighted. I hadn't realised Richard was a was a sort of fan. He's one of those many many creative people who has been inspired by this ridiculous wonderful lovely show Doctor Who that makes people make costumes write stories want to strut their stuff on the stage and become an actor and if if that doesn't work out well to turn to (laughs) highway personage so uh, (laughs) that's the way things are going for me you might might find me up a tree Um, and Richard is a splendid writer uh, and a splendid actor Uh, he's in uh, most of the episodes of Space Precinct about which he wrote in his excellent book uh, which you know talks about the fact that that was a series that did you know have a difficult gestation and was eventually you know pulled but he writes about it with great insight and great affection and uh, uh, it's, it's it's a really well put together chronicle of a show that I you know I only sort of you know I, I, I sort of enjoyed but the, didn't give it that much thought to you know but I, I absolutely loved his book so uh, I'll, I'll plug his book as well and uh, his podcast and yeah uh, go and avail yourself of what Richard has to offer because it's a lot he's also a lovely chap who I've never actually met in the flesh and that's another thing about this uh, brave new world in which we live uh, is that uh, you can consider people chums without actually ever being in the same room as them. But uh, I think we uh, we inhabit the same sort of mental plane. And I look forward to the day when one day I can shake Richard's hands. But uh, for the moment, I just have to wave to him across cyberspace. Thank him for taking part in happy times and places, which I do to you as well, uh, lovely listener. Thank you for, uh, you know, putting this. There's so much out there in cyberspace that you could listen to. You've chosen to listen to uh, an, an out of work actor uh, who's who's robbing you of a little of your time <laughs> uh, uh, by talking to you in a very one way conversation about Doctor Who but it's very nice to know that you're there and I'm grateful to you and uh, until the next visitation may all your times and places from me that is until my next visitation into your lug holes. may all your times and places be happy and not on fire I'm very grateful indeed to you for listening to Happy Times and Places which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke and my special guest Richard James, who as you heard has work that can be found at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk but he's also online at richardjamesonline.com and on Twitter at Richard N. James he's prolific actor writer podcast host avail yourself of his wares. I'm very grateful to Richard and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible. One of those is Trevor Smith. It was Trevor who pointed out Michael Robin's 92nd birthday. but I couldn't remember just as I was doing my Coda there. So thanks to Trevor and to Stephen Moffat, Richard Chalk, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson, Grant Davidson, John Deere, Chris Dunford-Kelk, Paul Dunn, Jason Gorman and Siobhan Galichon. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Do you want to be a patron like those names that I just read out? Then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where you can do all sorts of things, including pointing out that it would have been the 92nd birthday of an actor in the story I just by coincidence have released an episode of Happy Times and Places to and by. So thanks to Trevor uh, for doing that. That's, that's actually one of the lovely things about... Uh, the Patreon is that you know you can leave messages and we can chat and uh, and and learn off each other and uh, you know there's lots of like-minded people chatting away, you know provoked by whatever it is um, that has come up in the various podcasts that come out at least six months early if it's a happy times and places and uh, a month or so sometimes six weeks early for indefinable magic and too much information and you also get one of your own called far too much information there's also exclusive material in fact I recently released something that I didn't realise was missing from the BBC Audio Archives it's now been returned but the patrons heard it first after I sort of got it out of my drawer Uh, and also monthly AMA's Access back and forth, all sorts of different bits and bobs at patreon.com forward slash Toby Hadoke for as little as £3 a month. There are higher tiers, but most stuff is available for £3 a month. You can follow me on Twitter at Toby Hadoke, T O B Y H A D O K E, and these podcasts have their own feed at Hadoke Podcasts, again, H A D O K E then podcasts. I've got my own website, tobiehadoweck.com, that's got various bits and bobs on it. I might just just fun to look at. Is it fun to look at? No, no. Well, it's a very it's very beautifully designed by the splendid Slate Media, who is uh, the lovely Matt Evenden, uh, and uh, yeah, he's done a better job than. Well, it's what he does for a living. He's he's done a better job than I could have done. Well, yeah, in the same way that a a Michelin-starred chef could do a better job of cooking Michelin-starred food than I can because it's what they do. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, And I also have a page on ko-fi.com for those of you that might not fancy the monthly commitment of Patreon um, but also, uh, you know, might feel the occasional need to... uh, Throw me a metaphorical coffee. That's what it is. Kofi. It's a coffee. It's like you're buying me a coffee. To say thank you for whatever this is. Uh, and that's at uh, Kofi. Which is K-O-F-I. Kofi.com forward slash Toby hadoke Or you can do the thing that is free. And that is to give these five stars. Toby Haydoke's time travels. Give them five stars. Everywhere you go. Spotify. iTunes. Podbean. Wherever you digest your podcasts. Leave a tip in the shape of five lovely stars the five stars really help to uh, make passers-by notice these maybe be curious uh, and have a look and if you leave a few lines of review that helps too because the more people that listen the more it justifies me sitting up at one forty in the morning talking into a microphone uh, and doing whatever this is I enjoyed that I've done a few too many season 19s though but uh, so we've done we've actually done a run haven't we from 4 to Doomsday uh, right through uh, to Black Orchid and Time Flights have actually only got Castrovalva and Earthshock left and they have both been claimed by people uh, but they've not been recorded so I couldn't do them if I even if I wanted to in fact Davison wise I've got Resurrection of the Daleks recorded, and I've got The King's Demons recorded, i.e., the contribution of of guests. Oh, and Caves of Androzani. Um, but after you know, so so yeah, they're they're all good to go. So one of those will be the next Davison. But oh, got a lot of Tom Baker. Uh, well, I've got each doctor to go through before we do another. Um, but they will definitely not be a be a. Season 19 for quite a while. One, because I haven't got them, but two, because, uh, well, I've done I've done too many. Um, but uh, I need to do some new series ones as well, and that's, uh, I feel a little bit on the back foot, because, um, you know, I haven't managed to subsume myself in facts, although I didn't really do many facts for this one, did I? I didn't do many production facts. Uh, it was filmed at the Tithe Barn in Hurley, uh, that was uh yeah that where's that come from that's uh the tithe barn in hurley that is that is that is part of the location filming for the visitation uh i gave you some bits about the actors but not an awful lot uh it was mostly sort of nostalgia and observation i, sh- I shall try to proffer some more facts but you see i don't need the facts for this one really because it's all in doctor who the making of a television program by alan road which i have sitting upstairs uh which has lots of pictures in it oh, but there's a bit but there's some pictures of some old monsters that i remember being really disappointing because they looked a bit naff uh, and it's because they're not from past episodes they're actually from an exhibition uh and and i remember thinking what well, they don't look very good and it's because they're not you know stills taken on the set They are of uh, uh, exhibits without actors within. It does make a difference. Um, But yeah, I I have images of Michael Robbins with a fag, of Janet Fielding with a prop rifle, you know, in her civvies, um, and with her own hair, which is, I think, different to Teagan's, different style. Um, It was one of those things that you'd sort of pick over um, in those long... Long months between TV series, and, and one of those things that you know people would buy. I think I might even have a couple of copies of it because some you know, mum had. I think, I think, or maybe I've just got the one, but that I didn't buy it. And that my mum's friend Paul, It's just a lovely work colleague of my mum's, lovely chap, Paul. Uh, oh god, Toby, I saw this at a second hand shop or whatever, so I thought of you. Um, which is really, aren't people nice, even now, actually? My is it, I think he might actually be my godfather, John. John um but he was he was a friend of my dad's so didn't didn't really see him in 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 adult life um but he always sort of kept he's always kept in touch even though he was a friend of my dad's um uh which, which always suggested to us that you know he was kind of acknowledging that your dad did a wrong thing uh he left when I was about four when I was four um and and we didn't really see or interact with anybody from sort of his side of proceedings because i think that was that was the rule but john this this fellow john always kept in touch and even now because i think he knows i don't read the telegraph and he does he (laughs) sends if ever there's an article in the telegraph about doctor who i can i could see his handwriting now i go oh that's that's from that's from john and i open it up and it's like I, i still don't think you get the telegraph so you probably didn't see this which is terribly thoughtful of him uh but yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it, how you have these sort of satellites of people. And it must be awkward, of course, because they must sort of go. And in fact, I just saw my next, well, not, he lives a bit bit down the road, Ian, Ian and Barbara down the road. I have an Ian and Barbara down the road. Isn't that lovely? Uh, and he posted a Doctor Who book through my letterbox. Um, and he said it was basic. And, I, and he said, did you get it? I went, oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, and he said well, it was basically It was a three for two. And there was a book I really wanted. Uh so it was no skin off my nose to get it. And I didn't know if you had it or not. Cause that's of course the awkward thing. And that's what mum said was always the trouble was that she didn't know if it, you know, it's hard to tell people what to get me doctor wise. Cause if I really wanted it, I'd get it myself, well, not so much when you were younger, because you didn't, you couldn't get stuff yourself. I think it's hard now because, because largely, um, I mean, books and things are, are actually a lot sort of comparatively cheaper now, which is why being a writer is a fruitless task, really. Um, and of course, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've got all the episodes now. Uh, I mean, and also I don't keep up with all the merchandise, just too much. But uh, I like the fact stuff. But anyway, yeah, my uh, it's difficult to know what to buy to the, for the Doctor Who fan in your life because you don't know what they've got themselves. Uh, so you have to get them something that's a bit off the beaten track that, you know, uh, it's not an obvious one to get. Perhaps a book like running through corridors. Ha ha ha. Or something like that. Yes, I need to produce books that people actually wouldn't want to buy because they don't actually want them, but wouldn't be a bad Christmas present because they don't they don't not want them. That's that's sort of where I position myself. Ha <laughs> In in the gap between the 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 want the the desirable and and the not undesirable—that's <laughs> that's where I exist in that in that comfy little, <laughs> that comfy little uh, area of output. Uh, I, you know, I know my place. Um, my place now is is to bed. So thanks very much for listening uh, to me banging on about the visitation. But now I shall take my leave. The visit is over.